And welcome everyone to our GenCon panel for our industry spotlight on engaging diverse voices. Uh, my name is James Case. I am a designer at Paizo, and I'm going to be moderating this panel along with my awesome panelists. Uh, so why don't you take a chance to introduce yourself, starting with Tessa? Hello. Yes, I think I'll do that. Um, my name is Kay Tessa Newton, and I am an editor here at Paizo. Um, Thanks for coming out today. Okay. Next, Ron. And I am Ron Lundin. I'm a development manager. I work uh, uh, principally on the Pathfinder line, um, managing uh, the Pathfinder Adventure Paths and the Lost Omens line. Okay. And last, we have Linda. Hi, I'm Linda Zeis Palmer. I am also a development manager. Um, but my team is the people who work on digital adventures, so Pathfinder and Starfinder Society scenarios, bounties, and one-shots. One -shot. Okay, so um, this panel is about engaging diverse voices in the industry. It's how we can um, find people from a lot of backgrounds and how we can work towards a more inclusive industry. And just at the top, I do want to acknowledge that I think a lot of this is based on trust. And uh, you know, while we've worked to build up that trust, we're obviously, um, that's coming into question right now. And I just wanted to say that um, you know, we thought a little bit about whether we should still hold this panel. Uh, we went back and forth on it. Ultimately, we decided we, you know, we had a Gen Con event and we wanted to use the time that platform we had to talk, to lead the discussion that we could on how all of us in the industry you know, can try and do better finding voices, cultivating new talent, and just making a space that's awesome stuff in it and awesome creators as we can. Um, so I just kind of wanted to put that out there uh, before we dive into the discussion. So anyone else have anything? Um, yeah, uh, I, uh, I, since this is also uh, one of my, my only panel this weekend, I just wanted to say, um, especially since we are going to be talking about uh, uh, you know, how we, you know, how we work with freelancers and stuff. I just wanted to shout out our freelancers who are amazing. Um, and we have all been really feeling the love from them this week. Um, thank you so much. Um, and one of the reasons why I still really still wanted to do this panel because, because, um, I don't have, I don't, I don't have power in power here. Uh, I don't have, you know, uh, I don't get a say in, in certain types of those decisions, but uh, the work that I do can still help to um, cultivate and support diverse voices. Um, and all of the work that everybody on this panel and um, really so many people in the, the Paizo editorial department uh, do every day is really fantastic work in this, in, uh, on this topic. And I still think that's really worth celebrating. Um, and I want to, you know, share how we do it and our sort of thought processes and, um, you know, let folks know that, that we're, we're doing that stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, well, without further ado, let's look at some cool art. So could we go to our first slide, please? Um, so when we talk about, uh, diversity is a word that people throw out a lot. So what, what is diversity? Um, here are some elves uh, that we have from across our products. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out. Um, what is it in our products? What is it, you know, in kind of the industry, in the writing does, I'm just going to start with Ron. Uh, what does that kind of, you know, mean to you when we talk about it in the industry? One of, one of the things that's important to me is that we have an incredibly wide array of different people who play our games. And I think that the, the goal that we have is to present a game world and game events that allow people to see some aspect of themselves in what we do uh, and sort of the heroes that we present and the stories that we tell, the experiences that we, we put out there. Um, I really feel like it's, it's, the most important thing about being able to engage with a game is to feel like the game has a place for you. 
And we we have we have made a lot of things. We have made a lot of adventures, we've made a lot of source books, you know, a lot of stories. There is no way that we are going to be able to ever approach the wide set of experiences, the lived experiences that people coming to our game have. But but we can try. We can work hard in order to making sure making sure that we are as representative as we can to welcome as many gamers as we can. Yeah. Is anyone else? Have anything, Linda? Anything? Yes, um, I totally agree with what Ron is saying there. And also that um, everyone who tells a story brings a piece of themselves to it, a piece that is unique to them that no one else could share. And by having diversity in our pool of freelancers, we allow different people to express that story and so that more people can connect to it. You know, we never know like, because we only have our own experiences to speak to. So um, bringing in people from a wide variety of backgrounds with a wide variety of life experiences, everyone has something to share. And we are so much richer in our storytelling for bringing everyone together in that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tessa, do you have anything? Like, what does this- Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, both both Ron and Linda are totally right. Um, the only thing I'd add uh, at the end of that is just that there are so there are so many ways to accidentally, even if you don't intend to, deter somebody from wanting to engage with your work. Um, mm -hmm. And that thing, you know, the 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 stuff that Ron was talking about about making people feel included. Um, that's like that's that's really step one, and we are really fighting. At least, you know, um, when I am editing something, one of the things that I'm always trying to do is make sure that nobody is deterred from the stories that we're trying to tell or the world we're trying to present before we have a chance to, you know, get to the ending. Um, um, and if we're not careful, we can absolutely push people away. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, to go from that to what Linda said, yeah, absolutely. We have to, uh, you know, work with people who do understand those experiences the best because you tell the story the best if you lived it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I think that's a really good example of just kind of why it's important and kind of, so let's talk a little bit about kind of the ways in which having a bunch of influences and a bunch of different voices in the room can make this story better. Um, so if we look at the next slide, we're gonna see some art that I stole from Eleanor and Luis's Monsters of Myth uh, folder. If we could go to the next slide. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a product that, yeah, I know it looks real good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I know on the panel earlier today, Luis was talking about how there was a bunch of, you know, in-universe concept and so, you know, this isn't, this is a, a collage that the art team put together of kind of three of the intros that I really like seeing it this way because it's not that it's, uh, you know, all in this one style or in the middle style and the third style. It's like a good, you know, getting a bunch of different kinds of influence in there, which you know, that's just really cool. Um, and is and is, so, and is that lion tickle, tickling that white creature? Um, that is Gragasant. It is part of, a, <laughs> That's full, what it looks like of a full art piece. <laughs> um, the art team just collaged them together, so it's a little easier for us to see. But uh, I do really like how uh, the one on the left, I think, is taken from, was inspired by like a modern, modern, modern Inuit artist. The middle is, you know, very medieval, and the rightmost one is very, um, like, in that kind of classical Indian style. I really like it. Um, so, I mean, it, this is kind of a way in which we have like a bunch of different stories. So what's a way in which that kind of having this sort of diversity makes the product? I mean, we're, we're here and, you know, we, we talk about wanting to get a bunch of creators in the room, but how is this good for the, uh, how does this lead to a richer, you know, if you're trying to write this book or this adventure? Um, Linda, do you have any? Yeah. So um, a lot of times when we're approaching something, um, we may, we may, it definitely we can know right up front that we know, okay, you know, we are gonna, we want to tell a story that is about 
um, that is about characters who have a certain experience. So we want to reach out to a, a freelancer or writer who has that experience so they can share that story. And we can also have cases where we where we didn't more things come in that we didn't expect, where we we give an outline to a freelancer, we have a broad idea, and they come back to us with an idea of how they can share their story through that and how we can how we can adapt and how we can show their life through it. So I think that sometimes it's something that we know to request. And sometimes it's something that sometimes it's something that will be a pleasant surprise to us when we see the initial feedback and thoughts come back from the author. And sometimes it's something that we'll we'll see at the end and we'll just be like, wow, it's so amazing that we got to see that. I never would have thought to tell that kind of story. Yeah, uh, for sure. Ron, I know you're in a lot of the adventures right now, and the adventures are kind of one of the places where that sort of like longer arc narrative is, can really come out. Um, is there anything that you've you've kind of written the outline this way, and you you had maybe a like a in a vague idea of where you wanted it to go, and the freelancer really just came back with something that you hadn't expected, but was you know really spot on or anything like that? Oh, ab absolutely, and and. Learning how to encourage that has been one of the important learning experiences of my job. Um, I I like telling stories. I feel like I'm a good storyteller, but I am often blind to my own biases that have me tell the same kinds of stories. And so it's really important to me to resist the urge to say, all right, we're going to outline this whole series of you know, maybe you know six stories, maybe three stories, and here's how all the parts are going to go, and then go into specific detail about that before turning it over to the authors to write it. A really important step, especially in a situation where I know I don't have the same kind of personal experience that an author might, um, I, even if the author doesn't have it, if I know I don't have it, right, then I want to detail the story we want to tell only to a certain point and then stop and then let the author's voice take over from there and and mm -hmm. come through. That's the best way to ensure that not only are, it, are we sort of guarding against my own stories over and over, but we're allowing the, the, the freelancers we're working with to actually communicate what their own stories have been and place them into a framework that is uh less restrictive than i might have done maybe at the near the beginning of my career that's that's been a real journey for me and it's been i think i've we've gotten a lot more interesting perspectives and narratives than than we certainly otherwise would and i, I look forward to sort of continuing that sort of trend to allow the space for that yeah i really want to hold on to that because i think we're going to talk about it in a little bit um but tessa did you do you have anything to add to that or because I think you come at it from um, a very different perspective as an editor, you know, as it. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. It's a tricky, uh, it's a tricky thing. I think going based off of, or kind of uh, going off of what Ron said there, um, this happens, you know, talking about why diversity makes something so good. And, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, uh, individual aspects, it's diversity is sort of like the, the sum of the parts um, rather than like one individual person. Um, but this is actually a really tricky thing uh, for uh, editors and, and for the idea of editing and uh, in general, because one of the biggest things that I'm trying to do in my job is um, work towards consistency, playability, um, and readability. And it's a really tricky balance, just like Ron was saying, you know, he wants to uh, describe the events of something as much as as much as he can to a freelancer um, without, you know, boxing them into a corner. Um, I have to do that and, and all the editors at Paizo have to do that for language. Um, you know, just uh, if we want to pull up the, the art slide again, uh, the, the leftmost one is uh, Ina Murin. Monsters of Myth, Monsters of Myth, which um, I was the edit lead on, and uh, the freelancer. Uh, I, I spoke with the freelancer directly, um, and one of the things that he asked was, "Hey, there's this very specific piece of wording in here talking about this creature telling the story. Um, 
and using this wording uh, to talk about uh, an ancestor a very specific way, uh, their, their mother's 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 mother, can you make sure that that stays in? And, and those, those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of requests I love to get and I love to honor. And it, would it technically be outside of our standard Chicago style, um, you know, in our house style? Perhaps. But, you know, I'm looking for clarity. I'm not looking for conformity. Um, and that finding the line between that um, and, and making sure we sort of walk it to the best of our abilities is definitely one of the things that I'm always trying to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's kind of funny that you, you say that because I know that uh, myself and the other developers often say, you know, send us comments or, uh, you know, send, like, leave us comments because we don't know to change something or not to change something if we don't have it. You know, for Monsters of Myth, um, I was that freelancer to Luis and Eleanor. I, um, you know, I did a, a creature that's based on Hawaiian mythology. I did a lot of research. Uh, you know, I was I was back home visiting my family coincidentally because I was very late on my turnover um, at the time. And I made, you know, an element look like a hula, but I, I left a comment and I was like, all hulas need to end this way. So please do not change this specific line, <laughs> you know, and it. I think that's a good example of how, like, um, like you said with the Ayamaran uh, article, like sometimes things that would fly under our radar as not having meaning definitely have meaning to the person who's writing them and also to the people from that community then like reading that, right? So I think that Absolutely. kind of that this um this interplay with the uh, with your contractors is a good kind of segue into the next bit. So can we get to the next slide? Um, and I'd like to just talk about uh, just a couple of the times we have where we've gotten really, really good impact or in, what's the word I'm looking for? Input from uh, people coming from communities that maybe uh, the dev personally was not as aware of or didn't wasn't as familiar with. Um, so on the next slide here, uh, if we could get that, we will see. Um, Two things. Uh, one is the Fulus that have shown up in uh, Fists of the Ruby Phoenix and in Secrets of Magic. Uh, and the other is one of our uh, clockwork assistive devices that's coming up in Guns and Gears. And I think these are both really great examples here. Um, Ron, what, what was it you were saying about the whole, like you have to detail it kind of to a certain level with the, with the freelancer or? Oh, as I far as the, how you, the, you phrased it, yeah. About the direction to the freelancer and stopping at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. The, 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 the specific issue there is going to, the, the, the thing that I want to guard against is putting implicit assumptions into something that mm -hmm. could otherwise be, uh, uh, be representative. Um, so something along the lines of this image that you've got here is, is a great example right in the middle, because if you've got, I, I want to have an, a redheaded adventurer fighting a troll, you know, I might over engineer that quite a bit by saying, and I want the stance of the, the redheaded, uh, adventurer to be like this. And I want, you know, the, the positioning to be like that. And here's the scene, how it exactly has to play out. But taking a step back is a uh, allows for some space for the the artist in this case, or in the case of a uh, an adventure, sort of a, a, a scene or even a, a narrative, to sort of grow with something that I, as a developer, didn't expect and wouldn't otherwise have have even thought to describe, but makes the entire product richer. Mm -hmm. For sure, um, and one of the things that I that kind of you your point about making very clear where kind of only specifying it as far as you need to, and then to take it is uh, one thing I really like about the Fulus. Um, we worked uh, at a lot of back and forth uh, with Yvonne, who wrote these originally and who's contributed a lot of uh, material to Artiansha, part of our setting. Um, who gave us a lot of really good background information on how they work uh, in the real world. And, you know, one of the things that she said is that they, they draw on a lot of characters and 
how they're drawn. And of course, as a, maybe some people outside don't know this, but uh, in our art, we try not to use real life letters or, or uh, characters kind of regardless of what language, just because it's a fantasy world. And also it starts to become very difficult for us to track. Um, So we went back and forth and we were like, well, what are, you know, we have like maybe more diagrams, that kind of thing. So we still kind of ended up getting these really cool talismans. We had a nice sidebar about like how they work in the real world just to give a little more context. But then also as a game item, they're talisman class items. They do things, you slap them on on your armor or your sword and they overall kind of interact into the into the setting for sure. Tessa, I know that you you said that you don't, um, you know, the kind of role of an editor, the editor is often not hiring the author directly, but they do do a lot of work sort of behind the scenes and oftentimes with um, sensitivity readers or that sort of thing. Um, how has your experience kind of been in that process? Just because it's not always, uh, you know, we're not always the ones as developers who are quite as deep in how to either ask for feedback or how to interpret and put that feedback back out. Yeah. Um, I, I cannot, uh, hired hiring sensitivity reader or, or quite literally everything you write, um, enough. Um, I think it's always a best practice. Um, and I'm really glad that we, we do it so often at Paizo. Um, and the way that we, we really do that, uh, along with sort of, you know, getting a broader, broader sort of company-wide understanding that it is a requirement, um, really, we just, we, we have, uh, very smart people that we know that we can reach out to, um, on all sorts of different topics and, and we are always doing, always doing that whenever something comes up that, you know, we're just not quite sure about, um, I love our ed and, and we do our best, we do our best, but you know, we're not going to always catch everything or even more importantly, even if we feel like something is off, um, having that direct point of view, um, is always clarifying, even if it's agreeing with us, even if, uh, you know, we send something problematic to a sensitivity reader, um, and say, Hey, is this anything? Um, and maybe sometimes they'll come back maybe it'll be not quite as bad as we thought it could have been, or maybe they'll be like, Oh yeah, no, we need to, we should really retool this. Um, and it always helps us focus our efforts, not just to do well, this seems bad, so we shouldn't do it, but rather words, here's how to do it. Well, I am never against really approaching any sort of topic or subject matter. Um, as long as it is sort of signposted to the audience, um, as soon as any content, as long as any content warnings are, you know, presented and taken care of, and as long as we've done our due diligence, um, and as far as I'm concerned, sensitivity reading and, and working with really smart people in the, excuse me, um, in that field, um, is a huge part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, can I, can I build on that for just a second? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, one one of the things that I've I one of the most successful uses of sensitivity readers, I think I want to point out, is a situation. Sometimes they can build upon each other. I had a uh, uh, article that I developed that I knew I didn't have the cultural background for, and so I had a freelancer who was sort of a, I, I sort of a, I really knew well the history of the particular culture that we were looking to to focus on. But then even once that came back, the sensitivity reader that I that I wanted to get for it was someone that knew the religious faction, sort of the religious aspects of the culture as well. Okay. And so that let us get a product that actually came from two separate two separate sources, neither of which I possessed, but which ultimately made a much stronger product. I think Ron makes a really get... excellent point here. Um, sorry. Um Mom makes a really excellent point here about um, the importance of having different voices to represent um, a, a given topic rather than pulling the weight on one person to be like, oh, you know, you are our one person who is an expert in this. You know, you speak for all people who are similar to you in this particular way. That, yeah. that, that is most certainly not yep. true. Yeah. 
And I think it, it's, we see this a lot in, maybe less so in, uh, you know, TTRPGs, but certainly in TV or movies, you know, you'll have the one, you know, whatever culture character. And the thing is always just like, you need more than one example of everything because you need like the funny that culture character and then the serious that culture character and then the like, whatever, and the ditzy one, I don't know. Um, and having that, <laughs> not just one representation for every archetype, but just multiple to show that, you know, there's like multiple things and um, any given group. Um, I should have said this up in front. We, more we average are... people. <laughs> Somebody who just wants to, just wants to, finish the job and go home and have a bowl of soup. Um, we have been looking at the chat. So if you have any questions, we're going to have a Q and A at the end, but you're free to throw them in now. And I am looking at them. Um, Tessa, something you said was about the use of sensitivity readers uh, and content warnings as well. And um, Gruntled00 in the chat asked um, if we think that there's some sort of three, big three-way struggle between telling an epic hero story including diverse voices in POV and ensuring safety through things like content warnings and triggers. And to what extent those th three things are either, you know, in conflict with each other or not, or kind of build on each other or that sort of thing. Do you have, do you have any thought on that? Uh, unfortunately, I have enough thoughts on this probably to just be its own hour long rant well, that's, uh, all on its well, own. So I'll, I'll try, I'll try and <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's the it's the second part of the panel. Tessa goes off. Um, I think that's a really great question. Thank you so much for the question. Um, people, I think I think you should always have content warnings for stuff, just because for the same for the same reasons that we do all of the other things that we do to encourage you know, diversity in our player base. Um, and sort of to go back to something that I said earlier, I never want somebody to be dis from from the sort of Galarian setting um, or from, you know, in Starfinder and Starfinder as well, because, because um, you know, we kind of hit them with something really unexpected. Um, the sort of counter argument to content warning stuff in general, I think is that is kind of related to like spoilers stuff, um, which I really don't think all that all that valid a critique for the most part because even if you know what a story is about, you don't know what it says about that topic. You don't know how it's approached. You don't know how how when it happens or to whom it happens. Um, there's some there's so many different things that still make the experience of seeing it through um really exciting and dynamic and even even if you know that it's going to go places um that might be that might be harder and we should all there just out there just in case you know somebody wants to take a step back um or in general actually one of the things i'd like to put in more is if is uh you know you know us to be able to provide tools for gms and tables who aren't aren't interested in those things but are in a product and how can we how can we how can we still create avenues for them to experience something um, without things that might be, uh, you know, triggering to them or, or to any of their players. Yeah. But it's, it's a definitely a, a tough Yeah. And certainly yeah, when you certainly. play in like a large group or at open tables or in a public setting that can, you know, that's a lot more heightened. And, you know, Linda, you've been involved in organized play for a really long time, you know, both as a player and, you know, as an employee. So, I mean, I'm a little curious as to how that, might be a little different in that setting if you're working with an organized play or any sort of public group. Well, one of the things about organized play is that there there is there is an expectation um, to there's an expectation of a shared experience, but that expectation of a shared experience should never come in between a player and being able to have a comfortable experience at a table. Um, one of the mm -hmm. one of the examples that I, I remember being bandied around in the in the earlier days of me of me being at the company was sort of the example of you know if they're oh, if, if your encounter is with spiders and somebody at your table is deeply afraid of spiders that encounter no longer has to be with spiders that encounter can be with net shooting wombats you know that encounter <laughs> you can you can find other ways to 
to describe the situation to avoid those situations that are going to be problems for Problem. for players while still while still telling a story that everyone can come together and share yeah i think the part of the um the part of the question that i kind of want to drill in a little bit on is the struggle between not not so much the content and the the content warning part of it but the idea of a of there being tension between telling a epic hero story and including diverse voices to which i think the answer is there is no tension um right. you have like beowulf is an epic hero story that takes place in europe journey to the west is an epic hero story that takes place you know in china they are both epic hero stories there is no tension there um i think that there's a really good it's kind of a really good example of how you know especially in the specific kind of ttrpgs we do which is you know Elf Dwarf Wizard TTRPG. Um, that can come with a lot of assumed that can come with a lot of assumed background that doesn't need to be there. So I think if we go to the next slide, I think I didn't plan it this way, which is good because I didn't know how I was gonna segue. Um, I think we'll see a really good example of how we can take a trope, um, you know, in this case, the trope of the super powerful, you know, spellcaster, uh, and and just find a little bit of a different spin on it. Um, Ron, who is this? Oh, this is Walkina. This is the evil undead child mummy god of the city of Mazali in the Mwangi Expanse, who is not only a very fierce and evil sun god, as this uh, picture represents, but also a, um, a fervent and even violent isolationist in ruling his city with a uh, iron fist. Um, all of those things can appear across a lot of different cultural stories, right? You could have the evil undead wizard king shows up all over the place, you know? The uh, um, wizard kings generally show up all over the place. But it's important, and I, particularly in the answer to the question that I think uh, that, uh, that you'd read, James, is that this can be recontextualized to be interesting and fresh in a lot of different ways, like we've done here, I think, with Walkina, um, like we encourage everybody to be looking at and how they do that. Yeah. Um, certainly, for sure, it's like a way that we can recontextualize the existing trope. And that also just, that that makes it fresher. It, it makes it, you know, a way that isn't a thing people maybe have seen before, but maybe is close enough that they get an idea of what it might be. Um, Tessa or Linda, do you have uh, anything kind of to that end? Linda? Yeah, that people um, that people are people are coming into this, and I think that it makes it a lot a lot more interesting when you don't know exactly where something is going to go because you're not going to expect that it's going to be oh these stories are always going to be drawn from one culture and therefore I can expect this is going to run down uh, run down a specific path. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have something to say? Or? Yeah. Um. Sorry. I'm. I was waiting for waiting for my cue. Um. <laughs> I think the thing the thing about this, you know, we we've we've talked about sort of interesting, interesting, and fresh. Um, but the, you know, and, and and that is all absolutely new. But the but the thing that I want to drill down about that very specifically is just like what we mean by that and what I think uh, 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 at least we mean by that in these examples is that like even if you are going with the same trope the wizard in the ivory tower by the same way that you get get uh, that different perspectives rich in something um, you will get a completely different understanding of a given trope on on the cultural context in which it is placed and 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 informed by because we're always informed by our you know cultural context um that can be kind of hard to see when you're in a monolithic one but it's all there um and especially not being precious with our tropes and seeing seeing how other people can interpret what we what we love um or even that might be very near and dear to us um 
can help us figure out what it is about the thing that is important, that makes meaning, that actually enriches the story that we're trying to tell. Um, and this, I think this, you know, well, you know, Walkina is a great example of that. I love him. He's terrible. He's a sniveling little <laughs> You're idiot. supposed to think I'm that. So <laughs> <glad>. <laughs> You will um, avoid yeah, the punishment of the seven angry sons, then. Good job. <laughs> and I think that there's oh, certainly yeah. something. <laughs> I think there's Just certainly something where you can you can tell when somebody has come at something from a place of authenticity. You know, it it really shows. Yes. You're like, it's clear that you only had six pages, four pages to write this article, and it's it's clear this could have been twice as long, and it would have still been good. Um, yeah. I think with that. Uh, I think we should maybe talk a lot. This panel is called Engaging Diverse Voices, and we've talked a lot about how, you know, the ways in which we can help to cultivate diversity. But let's talk about that other part, about engaging voices. So how do we, you know, how do we find people who are experts in things, you know, or who are come from cultures or who touch on experiences that we don't know? And how do we involve them in the process? And you know, make sure that they're empowered to do what they need to do and given the space, but also in the context of kind of a larger game or a larger system or larger products. Um, Ron, uh, since you work on the adventures, you want to lead us into this? Well, it's a it's an awful lot of networking. That's that's how I do the the engagement to try to find the right person to try to find the right expert. When I was uh, looking for authors for both the adventures in the Strength of Thousands Adventure Path and the Back Matter, it was a lot of reaching out to talk to people that would have sort of the the cultural connections I didn't. Uh, you know, people people who are black, people of color, that might have the, uh, the the be able to give a focus that I couldn't on this. And it was a lot of asking people, "That's who do you, you know? What 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 do you feel like you could do?" who do you know, and then keep it, or where could I look? Who might I talk to? Um, there have been a couple of, of instances, not so much in Strength of Thousands, but when looking for sort of South Asian inspired things, I'm like, is this a kind of thing you could do? Well, I couldn't do that, but maybe if you look at this resource, or maybe if you talk to these people, um, being open to that kind of networking is is really vital in order to make sure that you're entertaining the, the option both for the project you're in and in the future to have a list of, uh, of lists of people who can give you all kinds of, of uh, different perspectives. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for as much as, you know, it's cool to see our books in, you know, fans from other countries reading our books, it is a pretty small industry and it is very, you know, it is very network driven. So certainly... One thing that I've really liked to see, um, especially, and I think maybe everybody being stuck at home because of COVID has maybe been a part of this or not, um, has been seeing a lot of, you know, our freelancers just interact with each other and uh, network with each other's work, whether that's for us or for other projects or something. And that's always a thing that makes me feel like a proud mama hen. I'm always so happy to see it. <laughs> um, Linda, I, the environment in OP is just very different and OPS kind of a big network there. So um, what are maybe some ways that you've thought of where we can either um, help engage people who come from these uh, other, who come from these other pools or who, or how we can continue to support them even after, you know, people are always like hire someone. So I was like, okay, well, I gave them a contract. They gave me some words back. The contract is complete. Um, what can we do beyond that? Well, I think that it's a matter of, um, well, first of all, acknowledging that um, that when you're looking to grow diversity, um, you're going to be looking at a situation where the people who have the most experience, that pool of people isn't going to be as diverse of a pool. So you're going to be reaching out to people who have so much to share in terms of their experiences uh, in terms of their experiences with life, in terms of their experience with stories, um, but maybe don't have as much experience at writing this specific thing that you're asking them to do. So I think it's very important to look for projects that that we can offer that are more approachable to start with. 
so that we can help people to, to cultivate those skills that are very specific to what it is that we do and provide them with feedback and work to work to help them find other projects that we do that they're interested in so they can continue to share their stories. Yeah. I mean, certainly if the only products we did were, you know, dictionary length codices, that'd be really hard for new people to come in on, right? Like, um, so I really love that idea of having these kind of smaller things. And um, I know in a project that, well, it's, I guess it's announced now, uh, in Dark Archive, I know that there were, I had some sections that I had that were uh, shorter in length, and those were ones that I specifically wanted to give to people who were newer in the industry. So I'm like, this is a shorter project. It's not book six of an interlocking six-part AP, you know, that delves um, deeply into our canon. Um, certainly having that, like, kind of approachability, I think, because, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. And oftentimes, especially if the industry has only started to become a little more diverse recently, the people the most experienced will, you know, be coming from kind of the same place. Um, somebody, like, somebody, uh, I'd like to follow up on that. Yeah. Hmm. One of the, but that doesn't mean that we can't have somebody that's providing us with the right view be the person who's writing that sixth volume of an interlocking six volume AP. Uh, it, it just means Absolutely. that what we need to do is make sure we're providing the right kind of mentoring and that we ourselves are taking internally the right kind of time to make sure we're building up the appropriate training, the, uh, the work we do, the appropriate feedback in order to make sure that these, uh, these authors can improve. It's, 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 it can be more work for us, but it is absolutely some of the most valuable work we can do. Mm -hmm. And cultivating people. Um, someone in chat, uh, Paradox Epiphany says, um, where's a good place to find sensitivity readers who are familiar with the TTRPG industry? And how do you evaluate what reader is best for your specific content? Um, um, Tessa, do you, yeah. I am actually not a great person to ask about this. Uh, I say as my face becomes full screen. However, um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I know, uh, like, like Ron has said already, it is so networking based. I know that most people who find folks, um, you know, for, for our sensitivity reading and, and things like that, um, uh, it's all comes down to networking. It all comes down to Twitter, Twitter and uh, industry groups that you are a part of. Um, I think you might be surprised how many people um, you might find that you know already who have some sort of uh, either resource that they can point you to um, or somebody that they know who does feel confident in being able to stuff stuff. Um, I think it, I think it kind of depends also, of course, you know, what thing you're looking for a sensitivity read on, um, that's absolutely going to change, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, somebody to speak about disability, that's going to be totally different than somebody who you're looking to, looking to provide or, you know, to present, um, an authentic, uh, diaspora experience, right? Um, mm -hmm it's 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 a complicated question i think there's no real easy answer um but you have to be willing to just kind of step out of your comfort zone and reach out to reach out to people um if you're doing so in good faith i think you will always find people who are uh interested in helping you yeah and i think to a lot of it i mean a lot of it comes down to trust you're asking a sensitivity reader to make a judgment call, a, a very informed one, but you're asking for an opinion. And so yeah. um, sometimes it, it comes down to, you know, I think trust. And I think sometimes we've had, we've had something occur where we would reach out to a sensitivity reader on an issue and they would say that they aren't available, but they have this colleague who happens to be free for work right now. Um, and I was like, well, I'm like, if sensitivity reader A, who has given you know, amazing feedback to all of us and so far recommends has to be reader B, then uh, what is B's email? You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'd like to and... focus on one word that, that you just said there, James. And that, that word mm -hmm. is work. Um, sensitivity reading is work. And particularly yep. because a lot of times that sensitivity mm -hmm. readers come from marginalized communities who are not often fairly compensated for what they do. If you are hiring a sensitivity reader, you are hiring a sensitivity reader and be sure to compensate them fairly for their time. Yeah. I've seen some things 100%. with occasional Linda. Kickstarters where, you know, a sensitivity read is a stretch goal and it should be a, it's a part of the project budget. So, uh, um, you know, and that's not to, that's not a thing that's universal. It's just, it's a thing I have seen from time to time, but, um, you know, and that doubly goes if the kind of core concept of the product is coming from one of those other cultures, right? So, um, let me see if we have any questions in this chat. Um, but I think other, ooh, I closed my box. Um, I think, um, so we've talked about kind of reaching out and networking and making sure and kind of cultivating, uh, relationships, is there kind of anything else we can, you think helps in terms of either where to find people or how to continue investing in them after kind of relationship, after you finish your, your job or your promotion or anything like that? I have something, mm. um, which is really just kind of the, uh, the last little thing that I wanted to say. I think when it comes to, um, working towards inclusivity and um, sort of, I think a lot of things, uh, I think a lot of tension in this area comes down to not knowing what you don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I think on, you know, the, uh, you know, people being approached to work on these things, you know, like Ron said, you know, they might not be as familiar with our very uh, specific and complicated systems. Um, yeah. And that's okay. And on uh, our side, we might not be uh, you know, used to working with people who don't have ingrained knowledge of those things. So I think one of the really most important things to express at every level is expectation. Um, yeah. And that really, that really goes both ways. You know, I, I expect as an editor, I expect a writer to give me their best work. Um, and I expect them to trust me. Um, with, you know, their words, which is a, which is a huge responsibility on my part. Um, and, and, uh, uh, the other way I, I want to fulfill, uh, I want all writers who write for Paizo to feel like if they have expectations for us, uh, on certain things, especially things that we might not be cognizant of otherwise, they let me know. Um, mm -hmm. I really try and, uh, of course, I'm always trying to edit for our readership and our audience, um, but I'm also editing for the writer. Um, if they're not happy with how their work comes out, then uh, as far as I'm concerned, I've kind of failed at my job. Um, and I never want that. So even if we want things to be clear and readable, I don't want it all to read the same. I don't want it all to sound like me. Um, yeah. And establishing sort of the expectation for what you want to happen to your words, or if you're, you know, if, if, you know, sometimes things have to be requested for copies like that, like that, the things that are like, okay, this has to stay, the more direction that you can give me on that in, 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 on those topics, uh, on those details will help me, help me, um, in my opinion, preserve the value of you being the person who we've, who we've, who we're hiring and who we're working with. Yeah. Um, I really, but I can't know that, you know, if, if I, I can't know what I don't know the same and the same goes both ways. Yeah. I think the thing that you said there that I really liked was the kind of the expectations where, and being really clear about your communication. Cause a lot of it does come down to like, is this a good faith effort to try and, you know, get your stuff together? I think one of the things that I've seen, Luis and Eleanor especially move that's kind of made me start to try and do it a little more myself is to send a lot more check-ins when the project is, you know, when the file is sealed and gone to print, like I don't want to have the author who you know poured their heart and soul. And sometimes, you know, they're like very specific cultural identity into something 
not know what it looks like until two weeks after release when they get their contributor copy. So I know that they've tried to send things off earlier so that, you know, you can see it and you can also be like, this needed to, this needed to change because, uh, some completely other unrelated thing changed in the book and we need to, you know, and we need to alter it slightly. That happens all the time. Um, but I think like, I think reaching out proactively before it's public, I think helps to also show that like, you're trying, this is not, you're not trying to like blindside them. You're trying to like, have that channel of communication that the trust base is based on. Um, we have a little yeah. bit of time left. So we have some questions from chat that uh, Aaron has been calling in for me. Thank you very much, Aaron. Um, um, before we get to them, I did have a thing that somebody had set up here and I'm having trouble finding the question. So I'm gonna have to apologize there. Um, which is like, what can you do after, if somebody does a good thing and I, in this specific vein, whether that's a kind of LGBTQ-based article or a cultural one or anything like that. And something that I try to do is if somebody came in doing this kind of thing, I also, I want to give them the opportunity to tell the stories that they want to tell, but I also don't want to pigeonhole them into just being the, you know, you are now the Norse poetry guy and you're only going to get Norse poetry type stuff. So I think um, being cognizant of what assignments you are sending what freelancers for what projects um, can go a good way to doing that. I, at least personally, when I send out things, I try to not pick, um, I'm just going to say Hawaiian. I try to not say I have a Hawaiian article and I have one Hawaiian freelancer and I'm going to ask the one Hawaiian freelancer if that's the only article they want to do. And like, I, I'd want to send them the whole project. And then if that's the thing that they're passionate about and they want to do, sure, they can take it. But if they decide that, you know, they want to just, they want to write some zombies and that's, that's what moves them. I'm like, well, that's what they're interested in. Uh, I don't want to limit them to only doing the one specific thing that I've, you know, that they did on the last time. So I think that, that can help a lot. Um, so we yeah, have just a couple inclusive. of of a person's culture isn't enough. You have to of the person of the person too. There's kind of a, a related thing here. Uh, Signa Vilho says, um, once Paizo has given a voice to some more diverse voices, is there a follow-up, uh, excuse me, um, is there a follow-up like for an anthology work where you might, uh, do you track that you give more contract work to good contributors and follow up with them? And basically just ensure that it's not that like every queer or BIPOC contributor just gets only their one shot and then we never come back to them. Um, just Ron and Linda, do you have, Linda, you haven't said, had anything in a bit and I know that you have so much you. volume uh, in BFS, <laughs> so. Yes, we, um, we definitely, uh, the people who work, uh, who, who hire freelancers work directly with them. The, the, at, at first, the, um, the the designers and the developers. And so we know who's writing these things writing and we recommend people to each other. We can talk to each other about like, you know, oh, wow, we had a great experience with this person. We, uh, we, we even have like a, a chat, which is basically like, this is a place for us to write nice things about people and recommend them to each other. Um, so, and also uh, opportunities, like opportunities to give people to talk about their work and to promote that. Um, so like, uh, like blogs and stuff like that are, are good to give people a chance to, to have their voice and to recommend them and to give them more opportunities. Yeah. Um, Ron, I, I know that you've worked with a lot of first time authors lately. So kind of what's been your process around that? Well, there's, there's actually few, I've worked with very few first time authors and like like you were describing earlier, James, they're the kind of things where, okay, this is a small piece in the back of an adventure. That's the kind of thing to be able to give a first time author to. We, we generally have people have gone through the crucible at, at some level or another. They've, they've written for us before and they've written for us before in a way where at least somebody else, if not me, yep. is saying this, this person could use a, uh, a shot at something bigger, maybe, or something a little more, uh, there sort of stretches their skills a little bit more. That's part of the the development of the the freelancers. They're they're. I I feel like 
getting a person who has the cultural connection appropriate to an article or something like that is important. But I think the freelancers as people and their interest is much more important. To give your example, I'd rather say, hey, I've got this zombie thing I'm doing, and then have somebody who is a uh, you know, uh, if not culturally Hawaiian, a specialist in, you know, say, hey, I've got a Hawaiian spin that I want to make on this zombie thing that I'm going to do, which I think is a lot more interesting an output of a product than this is a Hawaiian themed thing. Does that right. make sense? For sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that like a lot of it, like you said, is just this is how you build any writer. So it should be how you build all of your writers, right? Exactly. Um, I do know that Yvonne is in chat and earlier said when we were talking about Fulu says, please don't use real Fulu symbols because Paizo cannot be held responsible if you accidentally get cursed or, cursed or possessed and or summon something. So also that. Um, there's a comment here from user, from user Shreyu asking about whether we'll see more of the Skarsni in the setting. Um, but I'd like to kind of dig into the comment a little more. Um, they said that they had mixed feelings on them because uh, it felt like they were the Skarsni was supposed to be a stand-in for their culture, but also felt like it was kind of an uncomfortable representation. Um, and I know that certainly in TTRBGs, just because they've kind of gone on for quite some time, uh, there can often be these much earlier depictions of something in a setting that, like, on it, that like it wasn't the best depiction, um, but at the same time, you can't then like say, "Well, we're never touching this ever again." So, kind of, how do we, how do we address that? Like, I, I don't think we can really speak to the specific example there, but I think it's a really good um, point because I think it pops up with uh, LGBTQ representation. I think it pops up with a lot of kind of cultural representation and so on and so forth. Um, I know I have a really basic example there, which is that, um, you know, uh, my grandmother's Korean, I grew up in, you know, I grew up around here and I only really realized in the last five years that she has a very strong accent, um, which I just, I hadn't realized. I was like, that's just how my grandma talks. And, you know, uh, a lot of the Asian influence content in Paizo and at others has been from a very outsider perspective. And so that doesn't mean I don't want to go back there, but it does mean that you know, when I looked at the Fist of the Ruby Phoenix guide, I added a paragraph that just says, and some, this is a global event. Some people have accents. Please don't play them for laughs. That's my, and I just put it in there. So I think for me, at least it was like trying to go back and, you know, not say, well, this is off the table forever, but at least try and revisit it with more nuance. And I know that's been a lot of what I think activities in the last couple years for us at least have been. Um, yeah. Does anyone have anything on that point, Tessa, Ron? Yeah, one of, one of the issues that we face, oh, sorry, one of the issues that we face is if we have presented something exactly as you say, in a less than ideal way, our, our two options become to either address them again and yeah. make that uh, work, uh, work harder, do better, right? Or to just, not address it again and and just don't bring it up but once we make that second choice it becomes the truth in our world that that less than ideal representation is the only way people have ever seen it and that's yeah that's an awkward place to be that is not a preferred place to be yeah for sure that's it were you trying to say something yeah i mean this is this is a huge I think this is a huge issue with almost every single fantasy setting. Um, and, you know, absolutely one of uh, the the editing team's big um, priorities is, is well beyond the editing team as well, um, is to kind of figure out the places where mm, we need tweaks like this. Again, a game that's thrown that's thrown around a lot. A lot of times, it's kind of treated as impeachable um, or unimpeachable. Excuse me. Um, and uh, like it's written in stone, but it's it never is. Um, yeah. We can kind of do it anything we want. Um, I, I always want to try, and especially if we've step on step on something in the past, I 
sometimes people will be afraid to touch something again um, just because uh, they're afraid of making either the same mistakes or they're afraid of making new ones. And I think if you leverage all of the things that we have about today, about today for all of these different tactics, you know, supporting people, reaching out to folks, finding sensitivity readers, all these things, you know, we aren't going to be able to touch uh, everything, especially not in the short term, but um, we can always, we can always make things better. Um, and, so, and so, I mean, that's, that's definitely something that uh, I want to look at for sure. Well, thank you. I, we're just about out of time. So I think that's kind of the perfect note to leave things on. Um, thanks to you for sharing on the panel with me and thanks to everyone out there in Twitch who tuned in now or who will watch this in the future on the VOD. Um, have a great um, rest of con and we'll see you around.